Good evening. You're listening to the Parliament of Ruts podcast, episode 24, The Old Switcheroo. Bewitched, bewitched, you've got me in your spell. Bewitched, bewitched, you know your craft so well. Before I knew what you were doing, I looked in your eyes. That brand of woo that you've been brewing took me by surprise. Welcome back, everyone, to the Parliament of Rex podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lanise. And this is his wife, Melanie Lanise. Um, so, as has happened, you know, a couple times on our podcast, you know, we will mention one thing, you know, we're, oh, next episode, we're going to be doing such and such. Um, but then in the ensuing week, you know, I take a look at the material and, you know, start, you know, doing some research and I say, eh, you know, either this is going to run too long or I don't have enough material, you know, what, what have you. We wind up switching it up a little bit. Yep. Um, so long story short, that's going to happen again this week. Awesome. <laughs> we said uh, <laughs> last time out that we were going to be covering um, The Enchantress and, uh, you know, because she just has, you know, just a handful of stories and only, you know, a few pages each um, that I was thinking I would fill up the back end of the episode with uh, the final story of uh, Prince Raman. Um, but as I began doing the research, you know, I said, you know what, I could actually kind of make this more of a spotlight, you know, on witches and witchcraft, you know, in fiction or whatever, and make it more thematic. Uh-huh. And it kind of seemed like the raw man thing was like tacked on. Um, so, you know, if you are a listener out there who is, you know, a huge Prince Raman fan, I'm going to save you the time and just say, you know, inside of two minutes here, um, that's not going to be covered here. You know, we'll, we'll do that <laughs> at, at a, a later episode, you know, so you can tune out right now, you know, if you're the, the single, you know, huge fan of, of Prince Raman. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so tonight, you know, I, I thought we would focus on witches. Okay, cool. Okay. So uh, first question for you, um, what is a witch? Uh Spellcaster. Anything more? Um, because how does that differ from a magician? Oh. I don't know. I guess I conjure up an image of uh, the witch in The Wizard of Oz, you know, with like the, the green skin. Like the Wicked Witch of the West or whatever. Nose, yeah, yeah. Hat, yeah. Uh, you know, black cloak, cauldron, uh, although they didn't have a cauldron in mm-hmm. there. So I'm probably pulling that from cartoons that I saw as a child. Okay. So that being said, then, the, the sort of witch you're describing there, you know, from Wizard of Oz, you know, how does that differ from, like, you know, some of your friends that might be Wiccans? Uh, uh. A great deal. <laughs> right. Because my friends who are Wiccan or just pagan, because it's it's not all Wicca, yeah. um, most of them are women. There are a few men, but uh, the women are um, inclined to, you know, really just love nature and they're um, empowered women yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Um, so what I was kind of getting at basically is that, you know, witch, the word itself, you know, is kind of like ill-defined, you know, like like when you say, you know, this thing is a witch or that thing is a witch, you know, historically it's meant, you know, a, a wide variety of different things, you know, throughout history, you know, going back to like, you know, the Old Testament or even like, you know, Greek mythology, you know, there's references to witches, you know. On the Western world, we have a certain, you know, um, stereotypical image, you know, from like cartoons, you know, like Bugs Bunny or what have you. Or like I say, you know, in modern parlance, you know, if you're talking like Wiccan, it's a completely different thing. I would imagine, you know, looking, you know, and there are various different articles, you know, that I found or whatever, that there's certain uniting characteristics to all these, you know, uh, representations. Um, It tends, you know, I don't want to say across the board, but, you know, generally, if you're talking witchcraft, it tends to be, you know, across all platforms, a religious thing. You know, like regardless of what they're doing, you know, it revolves around a core religious belief of the practitioner, you know, whether that be Wiccan, you know, in, in you know, in modern, 
usage or, you know, like, or even, you know, the dark arts conjurers, you know, praying to like Satan or something like that, you know, it tends to have that religious aspect. You mentioned women. And I think, yeah, traditionally, you know, you often think in terms of like covens of witches or like, you know, the girls from the craft or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, more like, you know, as you say, a, a female empowerment thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as we would know from, you know, some of the things that we've watched over this past week, not entirely true. You know, you've also got the warlock side, right? You know, or like, you know, in Witches of Eastwick, you know, you had the Jack Nicholson type mm, yeah. character, you know, what have you. So, um, you know, like, like I say, you know, just from culture to culture, you know, our idea of it, you know, varies. Um, in the Western world, you know, I, I think it's probably fair to say that, you know, our original concept of uh, witchcraft probably stems from like, you know, the Bible. Um, mm. You know, going back to the Old Testament, you know, there are several references there, you know, to, uh, you know, witches and, and such. But I think there, you know, more so than your traditional idea of like, you know, a sorcerer, um, those people were probably more, you know, the remnants of like, you know, polytheistic traditions, you mm -hmm. know, when, uh, you know, the Old Testament laws were set down, basically saying, you know, you shall have only one God, you know, probably those who are referred to in the Old Testament as witches were those who were not adhering to that law, I'm know, sure. I would imagine. Um, more, you know, what we would think of culturally in terms of, you know, what is and is not a witch probably stems more from like Greek mythology though, than, you know, from like Semitic, um, that's, well, you know, the whole idea of like, you know, like, uh, Hecate, you know, uh -huh. you know that name. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the, the Greeks have a tradition of the sort of like the three faced goddess, you know, you've heard the phrase like maiden mother crone yeah. type thing. Well, throughout Greek mythology, there's a lot of like triads of women that sort of embody that central idea. Um, you've heard of like Medusa, right? From, um, yeah. you know, Clash of the Titans or whatever. Yeah. Well, Medusa was one of three sisters called the Gorgons. And, uh, and also, you know, you have the Furies, for instance, and like the Oresteia, once again, three feminine, you know, uh, creatures. Um, the Fates, you know, like the one who spins the, the, the cloth, the one who like measures it, the one who cuts it, once again, a triad of women. So this idea, you know, this Hecate idea of like a, a trinity of females, Throughout the Greeks, you know, it is echoed, you know, many, many, many times. Um, speaking of, we were talking Clash of Titans. Do you remember that scene where, like, you know, Perseus was uh, searching for the, you know, the, I guess some sort of, what was it, like a prophecy or something? And he went to those so. three old ladies who yeah. just had the one eye the among them. The weird sisters. Not, well, the weird sisters, that's actually later. That's from Macbeth. But oh. they're called the <laughs> uh, the gray sisters. Or, like, in oh. Greek mythology, they're called, like, the, the gray A, I think is how you pronounce it. Like, um, like GR, you know... E-A, E-A, or something like that. Huh. And, uh, but, you know, similar type thing, though, they're witches, right? You remember that image. They're there over the cauldron, that type thing. So those ideas, you know, of the sort of crone, you know, type thing, really coming more from the Greeks. And uh, and like I say, you know, all centered around that, that central idea of, you know, like Hecate worship. Um, one of the big ones, you know, around Greek mythology that you probably would know the name, especially because I know you said uh, early on, you said you were a fan of those Halmy movies like Merlin and yeah, you know, yeah. the Odyssey or whatever. Um, well, you know, in the Odyssey, um, one of the big characters is the witch Circe, you know, when yeah. he goes to the island and she turns all his men, you know, in, into pigs and, you know, sheep or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, she's a worshiper of, of Hecate, basically. Um, and, and, you know, of particular note, I'm quite fond of that movie because in that one, she's played by Bernadette Peters. <laughs> like, oh, you, yeah, you can't go wrong with that. her. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, like I say, you know, so that idea of like the, the Trinity of Women really became sort of, you know, central to our cultural concept, you know, of witches. You know, you had mentioned before Macbeth, you know, and, and the Weird Sisters. Well, there, once again, you know, you have that triad of women, you know, around the cauldron, casting a spell. Um, interesting little bit of trivia, you know, this is not really germane to our show or whatever, but, you know, people call them the weird sisters and that conjures up, you know, ideas of like, you know, strange and otherworldly or whatever. Um, but that's not what that even originally meant. 
um, weird is actually one of those words that Shakespeare himself coined. Um, yeah. You know, he's known, yeah, for, for like, you know, coining words in his plays. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, he had a wide sort of he or, you know, whoever Shakespeare was, I guess, you know, if you want to say <laughs> Francis Bacon, if you want to be all conspiratorial or whatever, had basically a wide background in linguistics. Um, and so I think the original meaning of that word weird was actually derived from um, the German werden, which means to be. So basically what he was implying by that word was that they were precognitive. They could see the future, you know, and therefore they were the like to be type. So, you know, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, accordingly, because of the way that they were portrayed on stage, weird get the connotation of strange, strange. and otherworldly. And that's our modern usage. Huh. So, yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so another, you know, literary character that, you know, uh, is, you know, huge if you want to talk in terms of witches. And, you know, oddly, though, historically, you know, they don't necessarily even refer to her as a witch. Um, would be in another character you're probably intimately familiar with, you know, through your like of Merlin would be uh, Morgan Le Fay. Oh, yes. Of right. Course. You know, so um, and sometimes they portray her, you know, as such, you know, the, the dark arts counter certainly in like Excalibur that way. And then but probably more in line with the idea of like the the Trinity of witches, you know, would be the uh, the famous book. And I guess later miniseries, I want to say uh, Mist of Avalon. Right. You know, Marion uh, Zimmer Bradley. And uh, I'm kind of, it's been years and years since I read that, but I know, so Morgan had what, like a cousin or a sister, I think called Margot's. And then the third in that trinity would have been um, Vivianne, who is the name of the Lady of the Lake. Mm. Um, but like I say, it's been, it's been ages. Did we ever see that? Did we ever see Miss of Avalon? Maybe. Yeah, we should rent that. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually pretty good. Um, so, yeah, but, but but my point was, you know, basically, like, you know, if you're going to talk in terms of, you know, um, literary famous witches, you know, you got to throw Morgan Le Fay in, into the mix. Um, stepping outside, you know, of, uh, you know, the literary aspect for a second, you know, and getting back into, you know, the historicity, you know, of course, another thing you think of when you think of witches, you know, is uh, the Salem Witch Trials. Absolutely. Right. You know, like every Dr. Fate story that we read always refers to his hometown as, you know, witch haunted Salem. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, there's a, you know, sort of negative historical reason for that, you know, that being that sort of, you know, puritanical backlash, you know, in the late 1600s, you know, toward anything, you know, remotely non-Christian, mm-hmm. you know, and it sort of became almost, you know, like you've heard the term, you know, witch hunt. Well, I mean, yeah. it's modern usage was even exactly that, you know, basically a sort of panic that forms. And then once that, you know, boulder starts rolling down the hill, you know, you just can't stop it. Um, I was, you know, I don't know tons and tons about that period, you know, so prior to this episode, you know, I, I did a little bit of research and, uh, and what it points to is, you know, it probably started more in uh, England, you know, as an outgrowth probably of the, uh, you know, the Inquisition in Europe, you mm-hmm. know, that moved across to England and took the flavor of like, you know, accusing people of, you know, practicing non-Christian beliefs, so on and so forth. But then in America, you know, it all started, um, you know, in one little incident in, uh, in Boston, where um, the there was a family called the uh, the Goodwins who had a uh, an Irish maid who uh, who didn't speak English. She basically spoke you know like Gaelic or something like that. Uh-huh. And uh, and I guess the kids of the family like didn't like her, so they accused her of like stealing laundry. And uh, and this woman's name was like Anne Glover. And uh, you know she protested you know but obviously not speaking English or whatever. She's just like you know no you know it wasn't me or whatever. And so the kids you know I guess to be mean to her started like you know pretending that they were getting sick and stuff like that. And then telling their parents that it was her that was making them sick. Wow. So yeah. So I mean, given the tenor of you that's know, really vicious. Yeah, the Massachusetts you know colonies at that time, they're like, oh, well, she's a witch, you know. And so they you know they threw her in prison and they you know they kept her awake for days and days until and uh, you know and one of the things they used for proof back then, you know, that you weren't a witch was that you had to be able to recite the Lord's Prayer, you know, all the way through. 
Woman didn't well, she speak, didn't speak e- English. That's what I was gonna say. The woman didn't speak English, so she couldn't do it. She she tried. She you know she had to do it with like you know fragments of Latin that she had, and then you know bits of Gaelic, but you know it wasn't good enough. And they wow. you know they condemned her yeah as a witch. Uh, and and while she was in prison, you know um, she was visited by a uh, you know a fa- would go on to be famous you know a Puritan minister named uh, Cotton Mather who um, interviewed her. And I'm, I'm a little bit hazy on these details because if she didn't speak English, you know, maybe he had a translator or something like that. Mm. But, uh, you know, but while she was in, in prison, you know, waiting her, her hanging, you know, he, uh, you know, I, I guess recorded some elements, you know, of, you know, I, I guess, you know, her practice and maybe combined it with things that he had learned, you know, from different studies. And he sort of published the definitive guide, you know, I guess to witchcraft at the time called Memorable Providences Relating to Witchcrafts and Possessions. You know, and then this sort of became, you know, the guidebook for, you know, all the ministers, you know, in that area or whatever to, to you know, spot your way, the field guide to spotting witches, if you will. And, uh, and so Cotton Mather, you know, uh, like I say, you know, he started out in Boston or whatever, but then, you know, and this is very, very historically important, moved to a little town called Salem, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and it was there that, you know, he really began, you know, lording over this concept and, you know, and. As we often see, you know, in, in different, you know, cinematic and, and literary portrayals, you know, probably most famously, you know, The, the Crucible, you mm-hmm. know, by, by Arthur Miller, um, you know, it, it took on a life of its own. You know, basically, if you didn't like somebody, you know, or if, you know, you were a little kid and just wanted to cause mich- mischief, you know, all you had to do was like point at somebody and go, you know, he's a witch, you know, and that cultural mania that was present at the time, you know, similar to, you know, our modern day witch hunts, you know, basically would then run its course. Well, okay, the... Um, burden of proof, you know, to say that you are not a witch would then fall on you. Well, okay, you say you're Guilty not. Guilty and proven. <laughs> proven innocent, exactly. You know, if you say you're not, well, prove you're not, <laughs> you know. Well, right. how can I do that? Yeah, so, do you yeah. float? <laughs> yeah, right. Do you float? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so that uh, so that went on basically in the late 1600s, you know, um, like I say, uh, Mather published his book in 1689. And then, you know, through like the early 1690s, you know, or what we traditionally known as the, the Salem witch hunts. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so that's, you know, historically, you know, I think would probably be the, uh, the the biggest thing, you know, obviously, turn of the century, 1900s, you know, I don't know necessarily you could call it witchcraft, but there was definitely a resurgence in, you know, the whole idea of the occult, you know, things like seances or, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mesmerism, that type thing, you know, became very popular. Um, you had those sort of like secret societies in the UK, you know, the Golden Dawn with Aleister Crowley and, and mm-hmm. all that type thing. Um, so yeah, I don't know necessarily you want to call that like, you know, witchcraft. Um, I think, you know, for our perspective, you know, it was about that time that our Western, and I don't even go as far as to say American ideas about, you know, what a witch was, um, began to be more codified. And, you know, probably the most famous, you know, literary example, and, you know, one that you even alluded to right at the beginning of our show would have been, you know, the, the Wizard of Oz. Yes. Uh, you know, with the, the Wicked Witch of the West. And, you know, and I think I'm trying to remember in, in the book, you know, is, you know, certainly they had Glinda, but I, th- I think Glinda was the, if I'm not mistaken, the Witch of the South in the actual book, you know, in the actual, you know, L. Frank Baum book. Um, but so I, have you ever read those? Have you ever read any of the Oz no, books? No, I've never read any of them. Never read them. So a, an interesting thing, and I, I think, you know, something that you probably not might not be aware of is, um, you know, we certainly have the idea of, you know, Margaret Hamilton in Wizard of Oz, you know, very traditional black clothes, pointed hat, you know, broomstick, green skin, long, ugly nose. And, and that, you know, that image, you know, is basically the origin of that idea of the witch. You know, you'd see that later reflected, you know, in, in something I know you're a fan of, you know, the Warner Brother cartoons with like Witch Hazel, yeah. sort of based off that template. But that was formed by Margaret Hamilton. If you actually go back to the books, 
Um, the illustrator there is a guy by the name of W.W. Uh, w. Denslow, and uh, and his illustration of the um, Wicked Witch of the West looks nothing like Margaret Hamilton. Um, basically, she's like a, this short little thing. She's got like pigtails and like a, a, an eye patch and, and just like... Really? Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, sort of like um, almost like Persian... Uh, not, no, no, what are they called? Not elf shoes, but the, those Persian shoes that sort of like curl up. Uh, type, I know what you're talking yeah. about. I don't know what they're called. Yeah, but, uh, but like I say, you know, very, very... Um, not at all, you know, marries up to the cinematic version of that. Um, but, you know, but a lot of the trappings, you know, the broomstick and, you know, and the cackling or whatever, yeah, definitely can be traced there. Um, but, you know, from a physical perspective, you then have to wait until 1939 to, like I say, you know, get that, that Margaret Hamilton, uh, you know, image, which would then, you know, carry us through to, to even to modern times. Um, other, you know, books, I guess, that make, you know, good use of witches, you know, Obviously, and this is funny because you know if you if I were to say to you, well, name some witch books or whatever, you'd probably skip right over this, even though it's in the title. But very very famous is the lion, the, the witch. witch, and the and the wardrobe, yeah. right? Exactly the the white witch. You know, is you know is famously portrayed you know in recent times by uh, you know uh, Tilda Swinton. You know, mm -hmm. a very famous witch. Um, let's see, I already mentioned you know witches of Eastwick earlier. Um, you know, in the nineties, you had the the craft or whatever, and um, you know each. Game of Thrones, right? You know, you got oh, Mel yeah. Melisandre, the, the Red Witch, you know. So, yeah. So, in America, you know, the witch has definitely become a, a pillar of our, you know, literary traditions and uh, and definitely, you know, um, you know, codified, like I say, through, through certain, you know, cultural touch points. Um, you know, even if you want to step outside of, you know, witches for a second and just talk about, you know, the, the trinity of females, um, kind of interesting. You know, we talked earlier, you know, when we were doing our Universal Monsters episode about the Adams Family. Yeah. Well, think about that. You've got Grandma Ma, you got Morticia, you got Wednesday. Oh, there, yeah. There's your maiden mother crown right there. You know, so, uh, so yeah, so that, you know, is, is our sort of literary tradition. Um, cinematically, uh, you know, in the 20th century and something that we would know, you know, over this past week because we took a look at mm -hmm. was something that actually is completely different than all of this. And, uh, and that is the, uh, the sort of comedic representation, you know, of a witch, you know, in cinema um, as a counterpoint, you know, as a juxtaposition, you know, to mortal men, right? You know, so we took a look at, you know, at two movies this past week, um, uh, one from 1942 called uh, I Married a Witch, mm -hmm. um, which is a, an adaptation of a, an unfinished novel by a fellow named uh, Thorne Smith called The, uh, the Passionate Witch. And uh, and that was a, a sort of like I don't necessarily want to call it a, a screwball comedy, but it had elements of that. Yeah, you know, with uh, Veronica Lake, you know, as the uh, as the titular witch, and you know, Frederick March, and basically, you know, she, well, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, was uh, you know a witch put to death in Salem or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and cursed to uh, remain trapped inside a tree until she could break this curse. And long story short, the way in which she broke it is by you know coming back to life, you know, I guess you will, in in the early 1940s, and sort of romancing this fellow. And, uh, you know, and he falls for her and blah, 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 and doesn't realize she has special powers. And, you know, eventually they run off and then she's got to confess, you know, blah, 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 I'm a witch. <laughs> so uh, it's a silly little movie, but, you know, but, you know, any excuse to watch Veronica Lake, you know, I'll take <laughs> So, and then we followed that up, you know, with probably uh, a more famous movie and, and one that, you know, I've heard many times throughout the years. And I don't know why I've never sat down and watched this because I enjoyed the heck out of it. But a movie from uh, 1958 called uh, Bell, Book and Candle. 
with Jimmy Stewart and uh, and Kim Novak. And that actually, uh, through my research, I found out that was actually a popular Broadway play about eight years earlier, um, starring Rex Harrison, believe it or not, um, who uh, you might know as uh, Henry Higgins from uh, mm. you know My Fair Lady. Yep. And then uh, and then also um, Doctor Doolittle, the uh, you know the, fa- the famous you know roadshow musical or whatever. You know those are probably his two big roles. But anyway, he originated the the Jimmy Stewart role that we saw here. And, uh, and for the benefit of, you know, our listeners, um, what this is basically is, uh, you know, once again, another sort of, would you call it a comedy? Yeah, yeah I would. It, it was definitely comedic elements to it. But long story short, Kim Novak, you know, is, uh, you know, a, a young sort of very, you know, sexy, almost cat-like, I would call her, you know, witch who lives in this, you know, um, apartment building with other witches. Her aunt, you know, is sort of like played by Elsa Lancaster, you know, Bride of Frankenstein fame, you know, is her sort of like, you know, uh, doting aunt or whatever. And then, you know, her brother, was it? Jack Lemmon? Yes. Yeah. Was uh, Your sort favorite. of like, yeah, I, I don't actually like Jack Lemmon that much, but yeah, he played a sort of like, you know, Hepcat, you know, a la Snapper Car, you know, played the bongos <laughs> down at the local club. But all of them, you know, were involved in, in, you know, sort of like, you know, witchy activities. You know, they cast spells and they, you know, and then Jimmy Stewart, you know, was just your average Joe who happened to live in this apartment building. Um, but Kim Novak, you know, falls for him and she sets, you know, a love spell. He falls for it. And then, you know, little by little, you know, their love begins growing naturally or whatever. You know, I'm not doing it justice. You know, if you're listening to this, you know, search it out. It's actually a really good movie. Sort of, you know, Technicolor, you know, Hitchcock type style or whatever. And, uh, and I say Hitchcock, well, uh, you know, obviously Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart's going to call that to mind because of Vertigo. Um, but yeah, just a really solid, enjoyable movie. You, you, yeah, you, it was a lot of fun. I, dug I enjoyed it. it. You like the cat, actually, right? Yeah, Pie Wacket. Pie Wacket. You know, <laughs> f- funny thing, you, you say that that name, right? Yeah, so Kim Novak's cat in the movie was called Pie Wacket. And doing my research, it turns out that name, you know, she called it her familiar in the movie. Yeah. That's actually historically, you know, a, a familiar. You know, they, in England, they had captured a woman and sort of, you know, subjected her to all these, you know, tortures or whatever, make her confess, blah, 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 blah. And that's one of the names that she named as being her familiar was uh, was Pie Wacket, which was the cat in the oh, movie. Oh, crazy. Yeah, it is. So, uh, so both of these movies that we watched, though, like I say, you know, had to do with the idea, you know, of a, uh, you know, a woman who was a witch, you know, getting involved romantically, you know, with a fellow who was just a mortal man, you know, but then finding love, you know, in spite of this. And, you know, obviously, you know, that, that, that concept is going to be, you know, core to something that, you know, is far more famous than either of these movies, mm. you know, that being... Bewitched. Bewitched, <laughs> exactly, you know, and we had talked a little bit about this, I think, um, when we were doing the... Uh, uh, Batmania episodes and we did those sort of you know back-to-back things we were talking about uh, I think Adam's Family and, and Munsters and Bewitched all sort of debuted you know in that same week yeah um, but that being said you know this had actually been in in the works for a while um, it debuted you know as we had mentioned before in uh, September of 1964 um, but if I'm not mistaken I believe the original pilot episode was actually filmed close to a year prior to that um, the uh, the creator you know a fellow by the name of uh, Soul Sachs, um, actually did base it on both of those movies that, that we were talking about, you know, uh-huh. I Married a Witch Neat. and Bell, Book and Candle. Yeah, he took those as inspiration, you know, took the elements of them that, that he liked, but then, you know, sort of, you know, um, you know, molded it into, you know, a more, I guess, you know, family friendly, you know, idea, whatever, you know, for, for television. And uh, interestingly, you know, so he was a little bit worried about rights or whatever. It turns out both those movies, the rights for them were owned by Columbia Pictures which was, we have talked about before, the parent company of the television subsidiary Screen Gems, which was the producer for Bewitched. So no rights problems whatsoever. Right, yeah. <laughs> you can so use whatever can. elements and it's all, it's all in-house. Um, the way he pitched it, actually, it's funny. So I did a little bit of research on uh, Bewitched. 
And, uh, you know, the quote that he used as, you know, his elevator pitch to sell to the network is, quote, the occult destabilization of the conformist life of an upwardly mobile advertising man. That is awesome. <laughs> it's a, yeah, a rather pithy way to say, you know, like, you know, which makes a dude's life miserable. But uh, <laughs> well, fantastic show. Like, you know, like, honestly, if I were to name probably my top 10 TV shows, Bewitched is right there. Like, I love that show. You know, I find it, it just even now, like, you know, I watched it as a kid, probably, you know, in syndication. Um, it had only been off air a couple of years. Um, you know, I, I said it debuted in 64. Well, it ran through 72. I mean, so, so a lot of people liked it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, full eight years, and, and you know, and then like a full life after that in syndication. You know, we still occasionally catch episodes, you know, yeah. on this TV or whatever. And uh, and a large part of that is due to just you know the the phenomenal casting. You know, like Elizabeth Montgomery, you know, who plays you know Samantha, absolutely charming actress. You know, I think you'll yeah, agree. She's you know, lovely. Yeah, totally sells that. You know, the the cute little you know nose wiggle or, or whatnot. You know, Agnes Moorhead, who plays her mother. You know. Probably, you know, like, as far as, like, you know, acting ability, you know, probably better than Elizabeth Montgomery. She is so beautifully over the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally campy. And then, you know, and then both the Darrens, you know, sort of play that, that you know, flustered Dagwood type, you know? Yeah. Which is funny, Dagwood, right? I'm sure that's what, you know. Darewood. <laughs> right. You know, Darren. But, uh, so, you know, love that show. And, uh, you know, and I think, as I say, you know, a, a lot of people did. Um, so much so that I am going to propose, and, you know, I... Couldn't find any reference to this, you know, online. The, you know, the origins of, you know, the character that we're going to be covering tonight, you know, Enchantress don't seem to be very well documented. Um, but that being said, you know, if you take a look at the, uh, you know, the time frame, you know, Bewitched, huge cultural sensation beginning in 1964. The Enchantress debuted, you know, in April of 1966. And as we'll see tonight, it's that type of relationship. You know, it's, it's a woman who comes into possession of witchy powers and, you know, has a guy that's, you know, human and sort of like, you know, so I, I can't help but feel that Bewitched is a direct inspiration yeah. for, you know, for what we're going to be covering tonight. Uh, and what we are going to be covering tonight, as I say, is the Enchantress. Uh, the Enchantress is a uh, character, like I say, in the Silver Age, didn't have a ton and ton of stories, you know, where actually all three of them, you know, we're going to be taking a look at tonight. And uh, all of them appeared in a magazine called uh, Strange Adventures. Um, which uh, I don't think we've taken a look at any strange adventure stories or, or even seen references. I think I might have referenced it early on when I said that the, uh, the character of Dead Man would be appearing there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so what Strange Adventures was was basically um, one of those anthology titles like, um, you know, like My Grace Adventure or like, you know, Mystery in Space. And uh, at its outset, you know, um, it debuted in uh, August of 1950. Um, it was definitely more of a sci-fi focused title than any sort of like, you know, fantasy type thing. It um, was one of those Julia Schwartz edited titles, you know, so it definitely had that bent and, you know, a lot of those, uh, you know, very famous sci-fi writers like, you know, Gardner Fox certainly had many, many stories there. Uh -huh. uh, you know, John Broom, the, uh, you know, creator of uh, Green Lantern. Um, some of the artists that, that we've seen, you know, definitely firmly entrenched in the sci-fi world, you know, Steve Ditko, who created Spider-Man, you know, Carmine Infantino, Gil Kane, uh, Mike Sikowski, you know, right. from the JLA, um, certainly Murphy Anderson, that was, you know, Strange Adventures was definitely one of the, uh, the comics where tons and tons of his art appeared. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, recurrent characters, um, there were some, uh, but primarily, you know, especially in the beginning, uh, Strange Adventures was really more of an anthology title. You know, a lot of these sci-fi writers would just write, you know, specific tales, you know, that were like one and done. You know, so-and-so mm -hmm. goes to, you know, Jupiter, encounters an alien, and, you know, strange adventures happen. That type thing. Right, right, right. Um, but, but that being said, you know, it wasn't exclusively that. You know, there were a couple recurrent characters, and a lot of those that you talk of in terms of uh, Strange Adventures um, don't really fit into, you know, what we, you know, traditionally consider the ages. You know, we've talked about 
golden age, you know, all that sort of, you know, justice society type thing. And then we've looked at the, um, you know, the resurgence of the silver age. Um, but I think I mentioned to you a couple times, there's that sort of like interregnum period, you know, from like late, you know, 48, 49 or whatever through like, you know, maybe about, you know, 54 when like, you know, the flash appears in showcase that they sometimes call like, you know, the atomic age, mm -hmm. you know, sort of informed by, you know, a, a post-atomic energy, you know, ethic or whatever. And so some of the characters there are kind of forgotten a little bit, you know, because it was just that, that you know, brief sort of niche, um, you know, probably the, uh, the poster child for that would be a, a character um, who appeared off and on in uh, uh, Strange Adventures called uh, Captain Comet. Not Atomic Man. <laughs> Atomic Man, no. It's, uh, <laughs> now, what Captain Comet was, and actually kind of unique for DC, is uh, he was actually a mutant. You know, um, I, I'm kind of sketchy on the detail. I haven't read, you know, any, um, you know, Atomic Age, you know, Captain Comet stories, but I did read um, in the 80s, I think, you know, a retelling of his origin, but I, and I can't quite remember. I think he was, you know, born, you know, maybe in the you know, shadow of, you know, the atomic bomb or something. But, mm -hmm. And in any case, you know, he had sort of, you know, uh, modern man powers, you know, he had like super hard skin, almost like, you know, a, a, you know, a less powered version of Superman. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think his adventures, like I say, were more like, you know, outer space focused. Um, but yeah, he really didn't become integrated into the DC universe until, you know, much, much later, you know, like I say, sort of a, a forgotten character. Um, some of the other things that appeared in Strange Adventures... Um, kind of a neat little feature um, called the uh, the Space Museum, and um, and what that was, and like I said, once again, not in every single issue, like maybe, you know, every four or five months, you know, you'd see a Space Museum story, um, but what it was was a, a dude, you know, in the, like, say, two, three hundred years in the future, who would take his little kid uh, out to, you know, the Space Museum, and each day would tell him a different story about one of the artifacts there, you know, hmm. like, oh, that there is, you know, the laser beam used in the, you know, the Atomic Wars of 2156. And, the, <laughs> and it would basically be like a framing sequence then, you know, for that story. You Futuristic know. history. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? Um, Star Hawkins, which um, <laughs> is kind of like a, a futuristic film noir, if you will, you know, Star Hawkins is kind of like, you know, a hardball detective, but in outer space. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he's got like, you know, instead of, you know, your gum snapping, you know, assistant or whatever, he's actually got like a, a robot woman who's <laughs> like, you know, it, Does it, she chew gum? his girlfriend, I don't know, I don't think she chews gum, but, uh, I gotta show you a picture. Ida is her name. She's got, got like the big, like lemon shaped head or whatever. Just like, almost like, you know, like, uh, Jetsons, you know, version huh. of a robot. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Um, one of the other things, and uh, this is a little bit later on, I think, you know, um, early 60s or whatever, and, you know, we talk about Murphy Anderson, this is probably, this feature is probably one that he um, personally is known for, called um, The Atomic Knights, and uh, and what that is, is uh, it's actually a, a little bit ludicrous, you know, from our, you know, modern perspective, but it's like a, um, a post-apocalyptic world, okay, basically, you know, they, they finally fired the bomb or whatever, and everything's been destroyed, and, you know, the remnants of humanity are attempting to rebuild and, uh, and who the Atomic Knights are, I guess, you know, are a group of individuals who roam this, you know, nuclear wasted land or whatever, you know, attempting to do good and, you know, prevent looting or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason I say ludicrous is that it's really informed by like a 1960s, you know, retro futuristic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, idea of what something like that would be. Like these guys, in order to protect themselves, go out where, and they're called the Atomic Knights because of this, wear like old fashioned uh, English armor, you know, like with, you know, like an old knight's suit of armor, like Sir Galahad or something like that, you know, yeah. like thing. And, uh, and, uh, and their steeds, you know, like as they ride across the land are these, um, you know, atomic energy mutated Dalmatians. Like, 
Oh. <laughs> like dogs, right? But it's, they're not like gross or anything. They're not like, you know, they don't have like four heads or anything. But what they are is like, you know, like supersized, like, you know, a picture like a Great Dane, but like twice that size. And these guys on like suits of armor, you know, right across the land on so these big dogs. Size. Yeah, they're like well, even bigger than a horse, really. They're, they're almost oh. like, yeah, yeah. I'll show you a picture, but it's it's absolutely ludicrous. Um, so, yeah, so those are, like I say, some of the more sci fi oriented features that appeared in uh, Strange Adventures. Um, but then, you know, right in the middle of, you know, where we were covering that, that sort of, you know, mid-60s thing, um, you know, we'd seen in the advertisements, and, you know, you had pointed out even, you know, a shift toward the uh, the sort of weird, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, and Strange Adventures was no exception. Um, once again, not every issue, but sort of, you know, recurrent characters um, that were introduced around that time were more in line with, like, you know, fantasy-type elements, almost a more, like, superhero-y. Um, like in uh, June of 1965, they introduced a character called um, the Immortal Man, and uh, and what he was basically was uh, you know a dude who you know would do right or whatever, but somehow would act, you know like in each story would be killed at the end. You know he just like have to sacrifice himself, like you know like a bomb's gonna go off, you know, and he's like oh no I'm gonna prevent it, and he would go and you know try to defuse the bomb, but it'd, like get caught in it, and then that would be the end of the story. But he's immortal. Well, so the way in which he's immortal is that, you know, let's say four or five months down the road, you know, there'd be another Immortal Man story and he would come back as a different person, like, you know, and almost like inserted into reality. Like, you know, it's not like you'd be born as a baby or whatever. It would just be like suddenly like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm Joe Smith now. I'm working in an office. So it was weird. I was just diffusing a bomb, you know, and so almost, you know what it's almost like in, in a strange sense? Quantum leap. Huh. Really? Yeah. He's like, his consciousness is hopping from body to body. But the twist in these stories is that, you know, each story he dies and then we'll come back. I think sometimes he even dies a couple times in a story. He comes back as different <laughs> people. Um, but I think one of the weird like elements is that there's a girl who begins to like figure out that it's the same thing and she's like falling in love with him. And so she's like, you know, trying to track, you know, where's he going to go next? That type of thing. Um, but it sounds like kind of a neat concept, but it only lasted four stories, you know, like oh. over the course of like, you know, three or four years, they uh-huh. did, you know, four Mortal Man stories. Um, you know, one of the other ones that they interwove, you know, throughout that period is uh, a character I've mentioned to you before that I know when we get to it, you're, you know, super going to like, we're not going to do any of the Silver Age stuff. Um, but, you know, if we ever get up to the 80s, we'll take a look at the uh, the Grant Morrison uh, revival of a character called uh, Animal Man, who, um, regular Joe, you know, he's like married, he's got kids and, and whatever. Um, but he, uh, I think has a, uh, what's his origin? Did he, I think maybe he got these powers from, uh, you know, an alien contact or whatever. But basically what it was, was a sort of, um, you know, sympathetic uh, empowering of him based on proximity to animals. Like, I'm not putting that right, but like, let's say, you know, he is, you know, near a kangaroo, okay? He'd suddenly have the ability to, like, jump really high like a kangaroo. Or if he's near a cheetah, suddenly he would have, like, super speed, uh-huh. you know? And because of that, you know, especially, like I say, in the stories in the 80s, he really gets more of a, um, you know, emotional resonance, I guess, with animals and really begins to, like, understand their plight and that type mm-hmm. of thing. And that's why I think you, you know, more so than a lot of people would just really, really love, you know, the, the Grant Morrison animal, animal man stories. Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so those are some of the characters, like I say, that were introduced, you know, in this, you know, uh, mid-60s weirding up, you know, if you will, of uh, Strange <laughs> Adventures. And uh, and then the other character, you know, the one that we're going to take a look at tonight, you know, is the Enchantress. And uh, so, like I said, Mortal Man, only four stories. Animal Man was only in five, <laughs> you know. And uh, and the Enchantress, you know, was only in three. So, you know, so tonight we're, doing all of them. we're going to take a look at, at all three of them. Um, these characters uh, in the 80s, they, uh, they re- revived all of them and, and some others, you know, from uh, magazines like Showcase, you know, it only appeared a couple times as 
uh, a team called uh, the Forgotten Heroes, mm -hmm. who, uh, you know, all these people who had like two or three stories, you know, were together now on one team. And then they fought, you know, a group of, of uh, you know, forgotten villains, you know, and the Enchantress, strangely, you know, was, uh, was one of those villains. Uh, and the stories we're going to take a look at tonight. She was a villain? Well, she's not what I'm saying. The stories we're going to take a look at tonight, she's not. She's actually, you know, a, a hero. But I think something must change. I, you know, I know she has a couple appearances in the early 80s in, like, Supergirl. And so maybe they explain, you know, why she went to the dark side. Um, but, yeah, but like I said, when she's revived as part of the Forgotten Villains, yeah, she's clearly gone to, to that, you know, side of the spectrum. But at least initially... Um, in these stories, you know, she's, uh, you know, at least semi-heroic. I'll be honest with you. Um, so I own all three of these issues. You know, it's uh, Strange Adventures number 187, 191, and, uh, and 200. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I've never read these stories. Like, you know, like as a little kid, you know, I inherited a bunch of like Silver Age books or whatever. But, um, you know, for Strange Adventures, I, you know, Dead Man was, you know, first and foremost, you know, who appears after all this or whatever. They, they, you know, once they introduce Dead Man, he basically takes control of the book and becomes a recurring character, you know, in every single mm -hmm. issue. Um, so, yeah, I was really focused on that. And then, you know, I, I, I dug the, um, the Immortal Man stuff, but uh, the Enchantress, I always kind of skipped over those stories. Um, so reading them tonight, this is actually, you know, we together are going to be reading these for the first time. Okay, yeah, cool. So, uh, okay, so the first one we're going to take a look at then, as I say, you know, is Strange Adventures number 187 uh, from April of 1966 um, called the, uh, the Enchantress of Terror Castle. Um, so this character, you know, is you know, created by Bob Haney. So I'm just going to mm. put that out there. I, I, like I said, I haven't read these, so I don't know how, you know, hipster the language is going to be or, you know, how fake slang, how much fake slang yeah. we're going to have. Um, art is by a fellow named uh, Howard Purcell. Who um, I don't think we, we haven't looked at anything on the show, but I think I might have mentioned um, that uh, he was a, a latter day artist that did some Zatara stories. I want to say in the uh, in the Golden Age, um, inks by uh, Sheldon Moldoff, uh, who I think is best known as a, a Green Lantern you know artist from the uh, from the forties. Uh, Colors unknown and uh, and letters by uh, Stan Starkman. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, and pull up that issue. Uh, so our, our cover, you know, doesn't have any uh, Enchantress content, you know, other than a, a little title bar, you know, saying new, meet the switcheroo witcheroo, the Enchantress, you know, with a little, uh, you know, sort of alluring headshot. Mm -hmm. um, it is a go-go check, you know, comic, so we know it's going to be good. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but our, our main picture here is, you know, uh, another story contained therein. Uh, you know, apparently two explorers are trapped in some sort of, you know, African <laughs> statue prison or something. It's like a gorilla head. Yeah, you know, the teeth have clamped down on them. Uh, so let's just ignore that and, uh, you know, go right to our first page, you know, where our uh, Enchantress story, you know, kicks off. Uh, that being the Enchantress of Terror Castle. As our narration tells us, what we think is one world is really two worlds, say those who wear peaked caps and flapping capes. Those who see destiny written in cryptic codes and in strange, sinister symbols. There's a creepy, terrifying second world. A shadow realm of unreal things, inexplicable events, black magic. As you'll find out when you meet the Enchantress of Terror Castle. There's <laughs> a Rod Serling and this or something. So, you sure it's not Mort Weisinger? <laughs> yeah, really, Mort Weisinger, we got black magic. So, uh, so we begin at twilight. A car, a couple, a twisting country road, and an old estate. As you see our car going down the road and, you know, a voice coming. My first visit to a truly ancient castle, Alan. And odd, I keep thinking fate brings us here. Dr. Fate? Is <laughs> 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 witch haunted Salem? Uh, so the man we see is Alan Dell, uh, importer and fun-loving member of a freewheeling social set. And so the little blonde sitting next to him says, If you hadn't stopped at your beach house for an old contract, you wouldn't have seen the invitation to a party here. 
The girl, tells our narration, is June Moon, pretty freelance artist. As, uh, you know, she looks ahead and says, Ooh, stop, Alan. I'd like to sketch those statues over there. How exquisitely grotesque. Statues, says uh, Alan, you know, looking ahead. And a pig's eye. Those things are alive. As indeed we see, you know, sort of a, you know, gargoyle statues, you know, like suddenly lunging toward the car. A living griffin, says June. And a gargoyle. Eek! This is right out of Middle Ages witchcraft. What'll we do, Alan? Let's turn the page and see what they do. Maybe they can put the top up on the convertible. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Um, but suddenly, you know, as the terrifying figures approach, you know, we see them, you know, pulling off their, their little, you know, uh, monster heads. Hi, folks, says the guy, you know, in the gargoyle costume. If we scared you, fine. That's the object. We're the welcoming committee for the costume ball at the castle. Scared us, says Alan. <laughs> We're always finding griffins and gargoyles along the road. Oh, boy. So it's a costume ball, says June. My invitation just said party, says Alan. We came as we were. Ah, uh, they'll probably have a couple outfits for you at the castle, says the, uh, you know, the guy in the, uh, the griffin costume. Uh, so shortly, you know, we see our couple step from reality into a fantasy land of startling macabre figures dancing against a background of long-ago past. What weird costumes, Alan, says June, you know, as they, they make their way inside the castle. I'll say, says Alan, and in all this scary atmosphere, you'd kind of like to ask the real spook to please stand up. You know, it's like, oh, what, what is that, like, Some shady. what's my line? No, <laughs> like, what, what's my line or something like that, right? You know, um, so as they make their way, you know, around the, uh, the the party, you know, they see a tapestry, you know, hang there, you know, sort of creepy, you know, uh, um, supernatural thing. That tapestry is a museum piece, says June. It's probably priceless. Ha, says Alan. Who'd want the frightening minotaur hanging on a wall? That baby's strictly nightmare material. Uh, but June says, uh, I'm going to go up the stairs and get a closer look at that tapestry. Meanwhile, says Alan, I'll scare up a couple of costumes. In street clothes, we're way out of place among these creepy characters. Uh, so as June, you know, makes her way up the stairs, you know, over the babble of merrymaking comes the unexpected loud sound of a gong. You see, a, you know, a hammer hitting a gong, followed by a strong breeze from some mysterious source that whips it at the torches, flinging the ballroom into semi-darkness. You know, as the, uh, I guess, you know, uh, decorative, you know, torches or whatever that they use for the party go out. Eek, what's happening, says the party goers. Don't lose your cool, lady, says another one. It's part of the act, I think. Uh, great doors slam shut. Ghostly sounds fill the cobwebby corridors. You know, lights, lights, get some torches lit, you know, cries out a party-goer, as uh, suddenly the grim, terrifying figure of the Minotaur begins to glow. Ha 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 ha! You know, comes a voice, you know, from the tapestry. Yeah, look at that thing! What a massive confusion, thinks, you know, Alan. June, June, where are you? And uh, where she is, is on the stairway, as the uh, bewildered girl presses against the wall. June, June, you know, comes the calling voice of Alan. Good heavens, thinks June, a secret panel in the wall. As, uh, you know, something opens up. But it's a weird sort of drawing. It's like, it's one of those, like, I can't tell. Is she falling to the right? Or is she, fa like, you know, is she falling into this? Or is she falling through it? No, I know, but I'm, I'm saying it's like, you know, you know those things where you can't tell if the square is, like, looking, you know, at you or looking backward? Like, is she falling toward us or is she falling away from us? I think away. Away, yeah. It's like, it's not important. I mean, she's falling through the wall or whatever. But yeah, it's just a kind of a weird, you know, uh, perspective, I think. Uh, so let's see. You know, so as she falls through the wall, you know, apparently, you know, she falls into a secret chamber, you know, as an astonishing sight greets the girl. It's, uh, it's just surrounded by all these weird statuary and, you know, big, you know, sort of red blobby thing, you know, sitting on a throne. Burr, says June. Spooky place and very quiet. Probably soundproof. Why would she think that? <laughs> I wish it were also scare-proof. I'm as jumpy as popcorn in a pan. There's some Bob Haney dialogue for you. These party treats have gone far enough. I've got to find a way out of here. 
There was a way in. There has to be a way out. Hmm, where's the gimmick to open this trick panel? Destiny brought you here. You know, suddenly comes a voice. Destiny will show you out again. It talks, she says, you know, spinning around to that red blobby thing on the throne. I get it, a hidden mic. This joint's bugged. Hear me, says the red blobby thing, but do not try to understand everything. Fate has decreed that you come here. Don't kid me, Mac, says June. I just stumbled in here. Okay, I'll play the ghost game. What cooks next? In this castle lurks an evil presence, an evil presence which has been aroused from its age-old slumber. Its malefic powers can now destroy all who are here unless you stop it. Me, says June. Now I know you're kidding. Repeat these two words after me, the Enchantress. So June obeying says, the Enchantress. As suddenly, a jagged streak of lightning, a muffled boom of thunder, an eerie coldness sweeps over June, and then, so we see June's gone, and in her place, you know, a sort of like, you know, sexy, sultry, you know, like a Halloween costume. Like, it's almost like a modern day, like, sexy witch costume where you get, get like, from like, you know, Halloween outlet or something like that. As the, uh, the blobby guy explains, the enchantress, that's who you are now, in this other form. Use your powers well, for they are mighty. Stop the evil thing here. Now I go forever. As, uh, you know, June <laughs> like, <Bye. laughs> looking around the room, finds a mirror and you know, sees herself. My hair, my eyes, this, this costume, I have changed. Now the first thing to do is get out of here and help Ellen and the others. As, uh, she heads you know, toward a wall and oh, immediately starts passing through it. Well, if this doesn't flip your lid, I can walk right through the wall as if it didn't exist. Uh, so meanwhile, in the great castle room, uh, Bedlam is still reigning. The door slams shut. We can't open them, you know, cried the uh, party goers. Break them down, say a group, you know, that like grabbed a table and are trying to smash through the door. Oh, they're panic-stricken, says, you know, thinks June, you know, making her way down the stairs. Unaware that they'll send the ceiling crashing down on them. I've got to save them. Why would they send the ceiling crashing down on them? Hmm. <laughs> okay. Stop battering at the door, she suddenly cries out. You're only endangering yourselves. You can't open it, but I can. Hold it says the crowd spinning around. Who's she? We haven't seen her before. No time for a quiz show, says the Enchantress. I can save you. Remain as you are. So swiftly, she gestures at an old suit of armor, you know, possibly one of the atomic knights, and <laughs> says, uh, hey, that knight's iron suit seems to be growing. As indeed, you know, the, the suit, you know, gets larger and larger, the same size as the stairwell now, you know, now headed toward the ceiling. Wow, look at it, say the party goers. And then, you know, to the further astonishment of the odd onlookers, yeah, the thing's become gigantic. Everything's going crazy in here. As, uh, oh, what she's done is she's made it grow to brace the ceiling, mm -hmm. she thinks. Uh, That's going to fall. Yeah, right. It is, uh, as she's thinking, you know, there, the ceiling is safe for now. Uh, but even, you know, with the ceiling crash averted, another chilling horror threatens as, look at the tapestry, the minotaur's hands are coming out of it. As indeed, the little monster that we saw before, you know, is now coming to three-dimensional life. Uh, so panicky, the terrified partygoers scatter as the moving hands reach monstrous size. If this is an act, says the guy, it's the most frightening spook spectacle I've ever seen. Clear out of here. <laughs> like, why would you even say that? Wouldn't you just, like, run? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, so, so moving like a wispy wraith, the enchantress seizes a length of chain from a decorative weapons group. A weapons group? What does that mean? Oh, oh, like stuff hanging on the wall there. Like antique weapons. Yeah, yeah. As she's thinking, unless I do something fast, the black magic evil is going to win this witchcraft duel hands down. So, as if unleashing a lariat, she whips the chain toward the threatening giant hands and, uh, you know, bolo style, thinks, first I'll handcuff that thing, then I'll get everybody outside while I try to find a way to defeat this evil presence. So, 
unseen, the charming charmer overhears, and, you know, two dudes standing there, you know, talking. Gee, Charlie, all we did was set up a few spook gimmicks to have some fun. Sure, says Charlie, but ever since we rang the gong and started our ghost sounds, everything's gone screwy. So that's it, looks the enchantress. A couple practical jokers, but like Pandora, they opened a forbidden box. My witch's instinct, you know, what she suddenly has, mm -hmm. um, tells me that the ringing gong aroused an evil manifestation into action. Now... It's a, it's a very pretty picture there, you know. Howard Purcell, mm -hmm. you know, has made her look quite alluring. Uh, so, uh, you know, hatching a plan, you know, the enchantress thinks, I've got to reverse the whole procedure, send that evil power back where it came from, you know. So I guess using her witchy powers, you know, she, uh, you know, has the, the gong strike again. And, uh, and as she does so, instantly the minotaur's hands are whisked back into the tapestry, which promptly loses its glow. And amidst all the hustle-bustle and the cries of fear, Alan Dell stops momentarily in his frantic search for June. And, uh, you know, seeing the enchantress says, I don't know who you are, beautiful, but you sure can throw that enchantment around. What? You, you even got me under your spell. And so she thinks, hmm, very flattering. He seems to have forgotten about my other self, June. Uh, time for everybody to get outside now. Hurry, says Enchantress, you know, trying to get away from her, her mm -hmm. creepy, you know. Play <laughs> So then, you know, as the great doors now swing open and Alan is carried out on a surging human tide, you know, as he shout, wait, let, let me go back. June, June, where are you? As, uh, you know, Enchantress and watch him thinks, ah, dear Alan, he didn't forget after all. He just wants two ladies. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, with the others safely out, the Enchantress now wills herself back to June Moon, you know, as we see a little transformation. Now, she thinks, to emerge as Alan's lost girlfriend. Uh, but June forgets that with the Enchantress gone, her magic spell vanishes as, uh, Holy Halloween! You know, <laughs> Robin-like, you know, the uh, suit of armor starts shrinking. The suit of armor did an instant shrink job, and the joint's coming down like an avalanche. Gotta run! Uh, so in the next moment, you know, she dashes out the door. June! Says Alan. I thought for a moment, you, you know, I, I thought, you thought I was a lost little girl wandering around an old terror castle. But that's all over with now, Alan. You know, she says as the castle, you know, crumbles behind them. So we resume as there are a couple, you know, heads, heads out back on the road. You know, night, a car, a couple, a twisting country road, and an old castle behind in the midst. Or, you know, the ruins of an old mm -hmm. castle. As uh, Alan says, you know, I met a fabulous femme back there. She came out of nowhere, like magic. What a dreamboat. Dude, don't say that in front of your girlfriend. As uh, indeed she's thinking, I can't get jealous because he liked the Enchantress. Since I'm stuck with being two persons, I'm glad he kind of likes both of me. <laughs> Whatever. She's rather accepting. <laughs> yeah. So our narration, you know, comes back in to close it out, saying, Alan Dell is in for a surprise, just as you are, when the Enchantress, the switcheroo witcheroo, returns in a you'll-never-forget thriller in the other world of strange things, strange people, and strange places. The end. Rather tame for Bob Haney. Like, you know, he had a couple, you know, little, you know, hip quips, but, you know, for the most part, you know, it's a little toned down. Uh, let's see, on our facing page, we got some uh, direct currents. Let's do a quick pass through and see if there's anything. Ba -ba -ba -ba. Ooh, a ghost story in, in Superman. You know, maybe that's uh, hmm. a little bit supernatural. Uh, let's see, nothing else. Oh, we have witchcraft and, and Renfrew, right? And Jerry Lewis, we talked about that during our, uh, you know, our humor pass through. He uh, meets a mummy this month, and a man's best friend is his mummy. <laughs> but uh, okay so that then is the uh, the first appearance of the enchantress uh, you know short and sweet um so if you like let's just you know pop right into the next appearance yep okay so this then is uh, strange adventures number 191 uh from august of 1966 uh, this is a story called uh, beauty versus the beast 
um, written again by Bob Haney. Um, pencils and inks, uh, comics.org has a little bit of a question mark around this. Um, they say that it's possibly Howard Purcell again, you know, doing both pencils and inks. Um, but then secondarily, there's a bit of a question. It possibly is an artist called J. Scott Pike. I've never heard of the dude. Um, color either. <laughs> you never heard of him? No. Uh, colors Unknown, uh, letters once again by uh, Stan Starkman. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, take a look at that cover. Uh, as again, you know, no, no Enchantress, you know, material, you know, other than the uh, uh, title banner, you know, it's a cut and paste job from our last issue, you know, saying Beauty versus the Beast, another adventure of the Switcheroo Witcheroo, the Enchantress. And our main story looks to be a bit of a alien invasion type thing, you know, the most fantastic mystery of the year, the alien prince. Uh, that doesn't concern us, uh, because our heroine, you know, kicks off here right on the first page, as our narration tells us, strangely singled out by destiny, beautiful June Moon has been endowed with the ability to change instantly to the equally beautiful enchantress, able to perform wondrous things with powers drawn from the mysterious world of the occult, but... The swinging switcheroo witcheroo is in for a big flipperoo when she meets a freakish terror with a few powers of its own in Beauty versus the Beast. <laughs> I think what we're seeing here is a little symbolic preview. We see like almost like a swamp thing, you know, coming out of uh, a river. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh, you know the enchantress is there uh, saying, The Beast has caused a flood and Alan Dale's caught in it. Better lend a hand. As I'm like... Completely inexplicably, we see Alan riding some giant caterpillar thing, saying, you know, what happened? How did I wind up riding a sea monster? Wow. No one knows. <laughs> so so let's find out. You know, as, uh, as our story begins, you know, with our narration telling us that the best laid plans of mice and men and beautiful gal artists often go astray. As witness, June Moon, just about to leave for the airport. As we see, you know, June on the telephone. Calm down, Alan. What are you trying to say? Stay there, June, comes the voice of, you know, Alan over the phone. Don't take that plane. Everything's going crazy down here. Because uh, we see in a phone booth at Cape Kennedy, Alan Dale, June's handsome beau, has ample reason to speak with terror in his voice. I wanted you to join me down here for the Venus rocket probe right after the importers conference. But don't. Please don't interrupt. Please, I'll give you a first-hand report of what's suddenly popping. Uh, during a conference break, we lunched at the picnic grounds. Some of the guys started playing croquet, and, and get this! As, you know, we see in flashback, Hey, dig that weird ball. Look at it, suddenly veer off course. As, you know, they're hitting a little croquet. It's the ground, see? It's pushing it up. And you should have seen it, June, says uh, Alan. The ground suddenly cracked open like an earthquake had hit us, and it spewed up a geyser of boiling hot water. What a way to lose a croquet game, says the dude in flashback. No, f no funny cracks, Bert. Get back or get steamed like a clam. As, you know, we see the, the geyser beginning to break. So the next thing you know, continues Alan, this, this thing was there, a monster standing inside the geyser. Was, uh, you know, in flashback, oh boy, this is murder. What is that thing? Nobody's hanging around to find out, says uh, Bert. <laughs> Scram. Smart. <laughs> so, yeah, running away. We see a sort of shadowy figure there, you know, in the geyser. Uh, so stepping from the geyser, the fantastic apparition stares skyward at the sun. It seemed fascinated by the sun. As, uh, as Alan continues on the phone, that thing's on a tear, June. Stay there. Don't take that plane. I promise, Alan, I won't, as she says, you know, over the phone. But putting it down, she thinks, here's a chance to test my new witchcraft powers. If all goes well, who needs a plane? Uh, so for a brief moment, she thinks back, back to that night at the castle when she found herself in a hidden chamber. It was then that she learned all about the fantastic witchcraft powers that she could possess. Once she willed herself into the form of the Enchantress. As, uh, you know, the switcheroo witcheroo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and apparently all she needs to do is think it because we see her like fading out into invisibility, you know, replaced by our, our raven-haired beauty witch. 
sort of like a, a Samantha Serena thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Identical cousins with different hair. <laughs> so, so having completed her transformation, you know, we see uh, June, you know, stepping through the wall as the Enchantress, thinking, the Enchantress doesn't need airplanes. I'll see you very soon, Alan. And so, through the skies, over a mighty metropolis, zips a figure that even most modern radar detection couldn't pick up. So you see mm. June flying through there. Does she have a broom? Or is it, we can't say she's very tiny up there. I'm waiting for it. Yeah. So, meanwhile, in a town due south, great guns, says uh, yeah, possibly Alan. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, that's the beast that was on the newscast. Look at the size of it. So, no, clearly not just a bystander. As, uh, you know, our beast begins, you know, tromping through the city, you know, crushing cars and, and whatnot. It, it keeps looking up at the sun, says a bystander. I wonder why. So suddenly, as if from out of nowhere, hold it, you big boy, says the enchantress, you know, landing on the ground. You're in the wrong playground. So, uh, you know, she aims her hand up to him and says, a little bit of my abracadabra biz, and I'll make you backtrack to where you came from. Alakamaz, she says, back you go. Uh-oh. My Alakamaz is bouncing off of him. Because <laughs> uh, you know, keeps... she has an Alakamaz. <laughs> right. I was going to say, is that like, it's like half Zatanna, right? It's like Alakazam, but the only thing she's reversing <laughs> is the Zam. Um, but it doesn't abate the monster. You know, he keeps tromping through, you know, smashing more cars, you know, heading right toward the Enchantress. Uh-oh, this means trouble. Oops, I better get out of his way, she says, nearly stumbling. Good thing she can fly. Yeah. So it keeps following the sun, which is now over the town reservoir. If it cracks that reservoir dam, shouts a person, we'll be washed out. Gotta try to stop it, says June. Uh, so now, as it approaches the dam, the monstrosity emits powerful rays. And begins, like, sort of zapping the, the reservoir. Uh, but June tries to stop him, uh, but to no avail. The dam is giving way under that thing's power, and I can't seem to counter those powers. Uh, and suddenly, you know, with an explosive shudder, the dam breaks. As the steaming, boiling deluge rushes towards the town, you know, June starts, you know, skipping over the water. Maybe I can't stymie that creature, but I can use a few of my own powers before the town is inundated. Uh, so, above the water, she, uh, you know, chants a little spell, I guess. You know, rise, steam cloud, carry me above the torrent. You know, so, uh, yeah, riding a steam cloud, she says, now I can get a bird's eye view of what cooks down there so I can change the course of the torrent. It's a, kind of a nice overhead view. Yeah. yeah sort of helicoptery, you know, so she's riding a steam cloud, you know, and uh, that does it, she says. At least the town won't get a dunking. What does it? What has she done? I don't know. Oh, she's changed the course of the torrent. She's basically just diverted the water oh, yes. down the road so they don't, you know, crush the houses or whatever. Uh, but meanwhile, you know, we, we see Alan. Uh, great, I come out of a roadside phone booth and get whammed by a sudden flood. Holy Halloween, <laughs> you know, says, or thinks the enchantress from above. That's Alan down there, and he's in trouble. I also spotted a caterpillar in the water, she says. I'll give Alan the ride of his life, and I don't mean maybe, because in a split second, the once tiny caterpillar suddenly balloons into a sea monster, says Alan. I jump in blue blazes. Where did it come from? Uh, uh, but where it came from, you know, is the enchantress. So you're behind this. I haven't seen you since that haunted castle mystery. Just trying to lend a helping hand, Alan. Welcome ashore. How does he know her name? Did she... I don't know. <laughs> she never said, I'm the Enchantress or anything. Uh, maybe in the interim, you know, she's had several other adventures covered by the news. <laughs> so Possibly. We'll fill in the blanks. We'll go with that. Yeah. So after the Enchantress restores the caterpillar to its normal size, you know, Alan asks, Can't you stop that monster with your bag of magic gimmicks? Nobody knows how it was formed. It just seems to be following the sun. Uh, but it'll pass near the Venus rocket probe, which is due to go off any minute. Hmm, says the Enchantress. Venus rocket. Thanks, handsome. I've got a date with a beastie. So in a split second, you know, she disappears with a with a splat sound. <laughs> As uh, Alan says, oh boy, she whipped right out of sight. Just like that. 
I'll keep an eye on the monster's trail and see what happens next. I thought he was going to go, she called me handsome. <laughs> really? <laughs> so, so shortly, you know, Alan, you know, comes upon the staggering sight of the rocket launch area. As uh, we see a countdown, you know, eight, seven, six, five, you know, and Alan making the scene says, has the Enchantress gone off her rocker? That thing would have missed the rocket, but she's creating sun splats to guide him right to the missile. He'll explode it. Sun splat. Oh, I, I guess she's making like she's using she's making her sun splat, just like what it says. <laughs> her spell to like make little like it's glowing sun orbs splats. on the ground. Where's yeah, splats. <laughs> uh, so the countdown continues. Four, three, two, one. As you know, the the monster you know reaches up to the rocket and grabs it. Fire! As you know, indeed, it, it takes off. You know, monster in tow. Because no one saw that happen. Yeah. So that's it, says Alan. With the sun setting, you provided your own sunlight, luring the beast into the rocket. Not bad, gorgeous. As the Enchantress, you know, replies, maybe we don't know what its origin was, but we'll know where it'll end up. It seemed to draw its sustenance from the sun. Now it'll get all the sun it wants. Why would it get sun? Like, wasn't it going to Venus? <laughs> I guess Venus is, or Mercury, Venus. Yeah, I guess it's closer. Well, I was going to say closer. I had to count off or whatever. But yeah, I guess it's closer <laughs> to the sun. So, uh, but anyway, you know, Alan says, I'd like to hang around, doll, but I've got to get to a phone. Maybe I'll see you around. As the Enchantress thinks, you will, handsome. Don't worry. I'll be back answering a phone as June Moon by the time you call. It's sure nice knowing you like both of me. It's very open-minded, you know. It's like Wait. I guess it'll you know mid sixties or whatever. Maybe she's like similar to like Raman and Elsa, you know, like <laughs> swinging thing going on. Uh, let's see. So what do we see below? A little you know third page ad for the most in thrills. Go go go! You know, mystery in space and uh, oh yeah, another anthology title. I, I mentioned mystery in space before. Also, tales of the unexpected, very similar mm -hmm. um, to these two. You know, started out as sci-fi and then got you know sort of weirdy type tales. Um, so yeah, that was super quick. That was what eight pages. Um, so that's Enchantress number two. And you want to read Enchantress number three? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Um, so the third Enchantress story then, you know, is a title called The Guardian Eye. Uh, that's from Strange Adventures number 200. You would think, you know, 200 would be like a special issue. It's not. No. It's just, yeah, they, they didn't really start doing anniversary issues, I think, until, you know, later on, you know, back in the day, this is just like another issue. Um, this is from May of 1967. Uh, written again by Bob Haney, uh, pencils this time, uh, definite uh, Howard Purcell, uh, inking himself, um, colors unknown, and apparently letters unknown for this one as well. Mm. You know, maybe Stan Starkman, you know, had the week off and had <laughs> to sub in, you know, a temp or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, Strange Adventures number 200, um, same deal with the cover, you know, no enchantress thing other than the title bar, you know, with the little clip art, you know, it's the same exact picture they've used all three times. They've changed the colors, though. They've changed the colors. This one's got a red background, you know, saying, The Guardian Eye, another adventure of the switcheroo witcheroo, the enchantress. As our, you know, title story here is the man with the comet head. And, you know, I perfect description. Indeed. This is a dude running down the street with a comet head. <laughs> so, but our story, you know, is the Enchantress who begins the, the book, you know, with a, a full page splash. You know, she's uh, in the grasp of, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, demon with horns coming out of his head and, you know, a big red tail, you know. And, and underwear. <laughs> yeah. As, uh, <laughs> she's zapping his head, you know, saying, my mystic blast, they're having no effect upon the creature. It's immune to my witchcraft powers, as our narration tells us. Once again, the raven-haired beauty, the Enchantress, revs up her broomstick for another thrilling ride into the unknown and danger galore. So hop aboard, and it's A-W-A-Y as we go with the switcheroo witcheroo as she tosses a barrage of mystic punches at a fantastic menace, the Guardian Eye. 
you know, as our story begins with our narration telling us that it looked like the end of a perfect evening for free-willing socialite Alan Dale and his artist girlfriend June Moon until, you know, we see our, our pair pulling up, you know, in their, their convertible, you know, outside a museum, as, uh, as Alan says, Look, a light in the Relic Museum. That place is supposed to be clammed shut at this hour. That's odd. I'm curious as a cat, Alan, says June. Meow. Let's pull around. Oh. <laughs> what, oh, the Bob Haney slide. <laughs> so she's a, you know, 1960s kitten. So shortly, you know, we see our, our pair investigating, you know, as our intrepid duo, you know, approaches the uh, Relic Museum whispering, someone's been playing gung-ho with the lock. It's battered. Nightcrawling thieves. Let's see what they were fishing for. As, uh, you know, they enter the museum. A rat trio after some expensive cheese, says June, you know, seeing three gangsters, you know, apparently, you know, in medias res, you know, robbing the place. Uh -huh. They've spotted us, says Alan. Let's take off. This is a job for the boys in blue. It was to begin with. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, but they're not getting away, apparently, because the uh, the mobsters uh, apparently, you know, anticipated just such a thing, you know, because a, a net, I guess, drops from the ceiling. <laughs> you know, That's it, weird. Yeah, catching these two. Down to the cellar with these two netted fish. Lock them up in the storage bins. We got work to do. A mass creep cut the support line to the Egyptian fishing net that hung over the hall, says June. Oh, so that's not there. So that's actually just a, a display thing. Um, so minutes later, you know, we see a caged and bitter Alan Dale, you know, muttering his anger. Talk about Lady Luck. She sure turned her back on us, honey. Well, Lady Luck, nothing, dude. Maybe if you'd stayed in your car and just called the cops, this wouldn't <laughs> happen. Uh, I guess that's the way the cookie crumbles, you know, says June, you know, as they're both behind, you know, barred doors. Uh, but she thinks, um, but being tossed in a separate bin was a break for me. Because June's mind flashes back to the night where she found herself. Oh, so just real quick or whatever, you know, we've seen two different flashbacks. As I mentioned, these stories are months, months apart, apart, right? Yeah. So, so her mind flashes back to the night that she found herself in a hidden chamber of a castle when she acquired the fantastic witchcraft powers. As Once again, I'm going to skip over this. We mm -hmm. see the flashback of the big red blobby thing on the throne and, you know, her transformation into, you know, switcheroo witcheroo. <laughs> so... Uh, so she does it again and, uh, you know, thinks, too bad I couldn't have pulled this switcheroo witcheroo earlier, um, but it would have given away my secret in front of the others. Now to spring Alan. Uh, so a pair of eyes pop out of their sockets as a moment later, you know, the Enchantress, says Alan, you know, as she comes through the wall. I sure like your habit of appearing right on the scene at the right time, magic miss. Call it women's intuition, Alan, says the Enchantress. But enough of this chit-chat. There's a robbery going on upstairs. Duty calls. But oh, my girlfriend, June, she's she's on her merry way home, lover boy, says the Enchantress. I've already sprung her from her cell like this. And she says, you know, springing him from his cell. Uh, now, there's your out. Take it. So, tense minutes later, the charming charmer slips into the main hall of the museum where, you know, she sees her, her gangsters, you know, getting away. And she thinks, looks like the boys are calling it a night. Well, I've got a witchcraft bit that says this evening is only beginning. You know, as strange words leap from the Enchantress's lips, as she makes a mystic gesture with her delicate fingers, and when she say, Akazarmaz, okay, so now she's actually doing each syllable backwards, this will close the door on them, you know, as her spell makes all the, the spears, I guess, from the museum drop down with a zing-zap-zap, zap, you know, sort of forming a makeshift, you know, uh, prison, you know, around these mm -hmm. guys. Yipes, they say. Uh, so then, you know, the, the thieves try to bolt in panic. She shouts, uh, Zamki, that ancient sh steel shield should rattle number one out of action. You know, the shield flies off the wall, clonking him on the head. Now for number two. So then, you know, as the magic maiden turns her attention to the second thief, you know, she casts a little spell and, you know, sort of uh, activates, you know, a, a museum piece chariot, you know, knocking the guy over and saying, you know, there's one chariot ride you'll never forget, Buster. Um, but around the corner, you know, we see the third guy, you know, pulling out a pistol. 
Uh, but who should appear from behind? Uh, you know, Alan, <laughs> you know, apparently did not take off, you know, because he comes in thinking, that masked character about to take a pot shot at the Enchantress. No time to warn her. He makes a flying dive, you know, right for her knees. Alan, what are you doing here? Huh? A shot, she says, you know, as he knocks her out of the way of the shot. Yeah, says Alan, a slug headed straight for your beautiful cranium doll. Whew, says the Enchantress, falling, you know, falling to the floor. Uh, my head played tag with the floor, but I'm certainly glad you stuck around, Alan. Better a bump on the noggin than a bullet in the brain. I'm afraid the masked man took off during my little football play, says Alan. Let's see what he grabbed. Uh, so shortly, you know, before a display case, you know, we see uh, them investigating the scene. Odd, says the Enchantress. He simply ignored the priceless relics in the casement to steal the relatively valueless Guardian Eye. Guardian Eye, says uh, Alan. What gives with that piece, doll? A native tribe believed the Eye would always watch over their village and guard them against all dangers. A superstition, of course. Well, let's quiz the masked man's pals. They'll come up with some answers to help put us on his trail. So, after a barrage of questions is fired at the criminals, Honest, says one of the, the crooks, the, the guy's a question mark. We heard about some masked square looking for an assist on a caper. So we had a meet with him, says the other guy, and here we are. And here comes the law, says uh, Alan, as we see you know, a police siren in the background. Uh, after we turn these boys over to the police, I'm going to wine and dine you, Enchantress. I'm just yearning for a bowl of witch's brew, says the Enchantress, but I suppose that would be impossible to get in this world. So a short time later, you know, in a quaint restaurant outside the city, you know, we see Enchantress, I guess, took Alan up on his little, you know, date offer uh, as they continue their chat. Um, just how was this eye supposed to protect the native village Enchantress? Well, the legend's very vague about that, she says, uh, but its glare terrified enemies. You're wondering, like, how she knows all this? Yeah. I imagine she has, like, occult knowledge, you know, from the other world or whatever. Um, but uh, right at that moment, you know, we see the uh, the radio bust in. This is an emergency alert. A fantastic creature has just appeared in the city and is terrifying the public. The National Guard has already been summoned. <laughs> this is the very helpful, you know, radio announcer. Creature, says uh, Alan. Uh, but things like that only happen in storybooks or in legends. Legends and Tantris, don't you think? <laughs> but the, uh, the Enchantress, you know, apparently, you know, does think because she immediately flees the table and saying, uh, that man in the mask has set, found some way to activate the Guardian Eye. I don't know, Alan, but I'm sure going to get this situation a once-over. Take care, says Alan, you know, as she flies out the window. Uh, so through the skies zips the charming charmer, too fast for human eyes to detect. You know, she arrives on the scene thinking, look at them stream out of the city. You know, it's like a crowd, you know, is, you know, fleeing. Uh, it's like a super riot sale was on. Must be some creature. This I gotta see. Uh, so moments later, the enchantress breaks in the sky as her eyes fix on an unbelievable sight. And, uh, and what that sight is, you know, is our, our little ogre friend there from page one, you know, just a sort of giant hulking, you know, half gorilla, you know, half Godzilla thing, you know, rhino horns jutting from his head, you know, four fingers on each hand, mm -hmm. you know, sort of terrorizing the populace, you know, as uh, Enchantress, you know, zooms over thinking, Shades of Merlin, I've seen some pretty zany things in the world of witchcraft, but this boy takes the marbles. Gotta put the whammy on him and fast. So the wizard girl, you know, moves into close range and, you know, with a zap zap. You know, Give thinks, me back my marbles. <laughs> thinks, the first thing to do is move big boy to a remote area where I can put my lethal KO on him without endangering the public. Um, but her spell, you know, is ineffective. Nothing. Nothing's happened. He's immune to my witchcraft blast. And now he's spotted me. He's coming for me. As indeed, you know, our, our ogre, you know, spins around toward our, our fleeing switcheroo witcheroo. <laughs> so... For the first time, stark, utter fear pulsates through the mind of the Enchantress, a fear she's never known before. She thinks, I've tried everything in my bag of tricks, but it keeps coming for me. As, uh, you know, it reaches out, the thing's going to pluck me right out of the sky. I can't escape it. Eek, it's got me in its grasp. As it grabs her, you know, sort of King Kong style. Mm -hmm. You know, it snared me, and yet I felt nothing. 
nothing but terror. Why? Unless, of course, you know, as uh, she, she thinks, the creature doesn't exist. It's a mirage, an illusion that creates fear in one's own mind. Down below, the masked man is making a heist. Oh, so it's the eye, I get it. So the eye it's an is, illusion. Yeah, projects things, exactly. Uh, so the enchantress gets on top of the situation, you know, thinks to herself, got to control my fear long enough to destroy the guardian eye. That's what's caused this mirage monster. As, uh, you know, she looks down at the gangster and, you know, zaps the eye that he has in hand. I did it, she says, as, you know, she zaps it and immediately the monster fades away. The monster's gone. Now, I'll float that thief there until the police arrive. <laughs> she, like, puts him up in the sky, just <laughs> floating around. Uh, so shortly, you know, I guess as the cops and, you know, a gang of reporters make the scene, you know, one of them asks, and you say the thief learned a secret about the guardian eye, which gave him the power to activate and control its powers? That's right, says the enchantress, a hidden compartment within the eye itself. He just confessed to me, and now I'll have to be on my way. So the enchantress departs, and then later that night, you know, in June's apartment, you know, we see Alan, you know, settling down, you know, telling tales of the day. That enchantress is a real whiz, June. She wrapped up the gang, battled the fear creature, and destroyed the ominous guardian eye. What an action doll, <laughs> you know, as uh, June just, you know, gives, gives a harumph. Yeah, you know, I mean, she's probably wondering, you're going to tell me about the whining and dining? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really. You know, oh, so that's how you spent your day. And yeah, indeed, we see in the final panel, she's thinking to herself, Enchantress, always the Enchantress. I guess I'm the only girl on Earth who's jealous of herself. The end. And uh, and literally, the end. Because yes. like, like I say, you know, this is the last Enchantress story until she makes a reappearance in Supergirl. Um, so, you know, maybe when we get around to that, you know, we'll find out why she turned. But I suspect maybe she finally became so, like, torn inside, you know, because yeah. Alan can't stop, you know, lusting after her uh, you know, alter ego. Alter ego. Uh, let's see, on the bottom, we get another, you know, Most in Thrills, Go, Go, Go. Uh, an ad for House of Mystery, you know, old Robbie Reed there, Dial H for Hero, and then uh, Tales of the Unexpected, just some sort of, you know, um, uh, anthology monster thing going on here. Um, so that wraps up, you know, Enchantress or whatever. That, mm. That's our, our, our little spotlight, you know. Um, do you want to uh, go right into the uh, the reviews? Yep. All right. Um, so that being said, do you want to look at these as a... Uh, you know, a uh, uh, continuous story. Like one was the first one was nine pages, second one's ten, last one eight. Or do you want to do each one individually? You know, do you want to? I could take them all at once. You want to take them all at once? Okay. So we looked at uh, you know three stories. Um, you know, the first one was her origin there, the Enchantress of Terror Castle. Um, second one was the you know nonsensical you know monster down at Cape Canaveral and you know, Beauty versus the Beast. And then thirdly was the uh, you know the illusionary you know <laughs> ogre or whatever with yeah the guardian eye. Um, so yeah, what did you think of, uh, you know, the Enchantress's, you know, short-lived, uh, you know, Silver Age career? I understand why it was short-lived. Yeah. <laughs> um, the writing, not so good. That's well, Bob Haney, you know. It's just, I know, <laughs> it, yeah. It, it had a little, I, I gotta tell you, like, the, I started thinking, I didn't mention this or whatever, but in that second story, when they were down at Cape Canaveral, you know, with the rocket and the monster, that reminded me of one of those Eclipse stories you read. Do you remember, like, yeah. all of a sudden there was that Helio the Sun Demon, you know, he's getting the rocket, that yep. whole thing. It's like he just repurposed that same plot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just um, the quips, a little too overwhelming for me. No, oh, you, you didn't like, you know, June Moon being, a, you know, the, uh, I guess, the female version of, of a hep cat, you know, a, a hep kitten. No, <laughs> that was entirely unbelievable. Yeah. Not even for a comic book story. I just, I, I, could, I couldn't get into that at all. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I, I didn't even like her name. You know, oh. like her last name, June Moon, uh, of course. Eh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's comic booky, you know, like, uh, you know, you think about like Stan Lee, you know, everything is, you know, alliteration, you know, Peter Parker, Reed Richards or whatever. June Moon, that's not hard for me to, yeah, you know, it, it rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like a killer. And then like her boyfriend, like, 
whoa. Dude, what like, a douche. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I was like, wow. And then like, and she was seeming to go along with it until the third story where she was like, <laughs> I'm like, why are you changing your mind now? Yeah, before you were all like, I'm glad he likes both of me, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the artwork was fine. Um, yeah, like I said, I've never seen Howard Purcell, but yeah, the, at least, yeah, I remember in the, in the first story, there was a very sort of alluring, you know, picture of her. Yeah, pretty good artist. Yeah. Um, and I was a little concerned getting into the third story when uh, the the monster, the, before I realized that it was like an illusion, mm. the perspective was entirely different. He would be like super huge in one shot and then he would be like not quite so big in another. Mm, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, if, if you go uh, flip back through it, you'll you'll see that like his foot doesn't match the rest of the size of his body. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, and then it was an illusion anyway, so that kind of made sense. He's there for terror. Mm. Okay, so uh, so overall, I, I think I, I don't even need to ask you. I'd yeah. like, <laughs> I don't like hurting birds. Uh, these are all dead. <laughs> They're all dead. All right, well, okay, so sorry, June Moon. You know, you, you didn't make the cut, you know, either on, uh, you know, Parliament of Rooks or, you know, in your <laughs> Silver Age existence. Um, like I say, in very short order, you know, um, uh, Strange Adventures, a matter of fact, like inside of five issues, you know, is going to be turned over to a brand new character called Dead Man. And, uh, and there, like I say, you know, they'll really give him prominence, you know, he'll be the first character in a long time to appear there, you know, issue after issue. Um, so, so yeah, that was sort of, you know, winding down, I guess, an era, you know, with regard to DC Comics. And, uh, you know, and speaking of that, like, I guess that could have been a transition if I'd say to the original plan, you know, we also could have talked about the winding down of House of Secrets then with uh, mm. Prince Raman. Um, but we'll do, we'll save that for uh, next issue. You know, I'm kind of up in the air, you know, what I'll pair that with. You know, maybe I got one Spectre story hanging out, you know, maybe one more JLA. So we mix it up. We'll, I'm not entirely sure what we're going to do next. I'm not going to commit this time and have to recant <laughs> it, you know, in the first five minutes. Um, so with that in mind, you, you want to just call this one a night? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, our contact information, everybody, you know, it's the same as always. You know, you can find uh, this or, you know, any episode there on our website, which is uh, tporpodcast.com. And uh, and then if you have any comments, you know, on any of those, you know, feel free to uh, send us a message to our email at uh, tporpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook, we are facebook.com backslash T-P-O-R podcast. And uh, on Twitter, we are at T-P-O-R podcast. It's <laughs> uh, pretty consistent. Pretty easy to find, yeah. Uh, you can subscribe to us on you know any of a variety of venues. Uh, you got iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcastpedia, you know, or any pod catcher, you know, that, that's what they're called, you know, they find little apps, you know, they're called pod catchers. Um, so, uh, so with that in mind, you know, uh, once again, you know, we want to thank everybody, you know, for joining us. Uh, we hope you had a good time and uh, we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Rooks podcast. Thanks everybody. When I look out my window, many sights to see. And when I look in my window So many different people to be That it's strange So strange You got to pick up every stitch You got to pick up every stitch you got to pick up every stitch mm-hmm. Must be the season of the witch Must be the season of the witch, yeah Must be the